You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Episode 105, The Paradox. Welcome to The Paradox with your attending, Dr. Eric Larson. He is a practicing anesthesiologist and clinical assistant professor at Michigan State University College of Human Medicine. Listen in as he takes you behind the scenes of what practicing medicine in today's ever-changing world is like with another doctor. The Paradox is a fun and accidentally informative show for physicians, patients, or anyone who has ever found themselves in a waiting room. Paradox. I'm your host, Dr. Eric Larson. Thank you for joining me as we explore the U.S. medical system in a fun and informative format through expert analysis. Today, I have a lot of experts with me. I'm joined by a lot of direct primary care physicians, or DPC docs. There are nine of them, in fact. And we're going to discuss what's one question you wish you knew before starting your DPC practice. There are a lot of physicians who are looking into this model, and it's one that is kind of scary, whether you've been in a traditional practice or you're coming straight out of training. It's a plunge that a lot of physicians are not quite sure about. And so hopefully these will answer a couple questions that you might have, and at a very minimum, make you a little bit more comfortable asking for help. On a side note, I found that DPC docs are incredibly helpful to each other. It's a community of people who believe in the model and the method of delivering care in a non-traditional way. For those not familiar with DPC, I've talked about in the show plenty of times, but the easiest way to describe direct primary care is that it's a membership model. Basically, you pay a membership fee, and for that service, you have a physician at your beck and call usually by text, 24-7 coverage, oftentimes unlimited visits. Usually there are other values that are provided by that physician. Suturing, laboratory tests, imaging, which are either free or at deeply discounted rates. This episode was a ton of fun to do because I got to talk to physicians from all over the country, from Alaska to New Hampshire, down to Florida, and everywhere in between. And I think even if you're not a direct primary care physician or someone looking to go into DPC, I think you find a lot of things interesting about these answers and sort of how you can tell that the practice is just different than your traditional medical practice. And I want to give just a little bit of warning that one of the physicians I spoke to was at an airport when I caught her, and she was getting a, catching a flight, and there wasn't any announcements. It was a very quiet terminal until we started recording, and so you can hear the background a little bit, although you can hear her answer just fine. But that's the risk of putting together a show with nine different people, but they were all wonderful, and we had a lot of fun doing it, so I think you'll enjoy it as well. Before I start, I wanted to go back to episode 104, which is the last episode, where I discussed my family's journey, a year without health insurance. We use a combination of a sharing ministry and basically DPC physician, so I've been familiar with DPC for a while. Although I do not think a DPC physician is essential for having a sharing ministry, it certainly makes a lot of the costs and someone advocating for your pocketbook. But I received an email from one of my listeners who made a very good point. He's actually been on a sharing ministry for six years has loved it and thought it's provided great care, he wanted to point out a few things. One, you don't actually have to pay your bills right away. So I had said that you paid up front, at, you get a usually a cash discount of 10 to 15% when you pay your bills. You actually can negotiate those rates right away and then pay them on some schedule fee later. So if you have a large bill for, say, thousands of dollars, and in my uh, listener's case, he actually had open heart surgery, a number of other surgical procedures or health issues, uh, that have been run up in the thousands of dollars. And so he's able to pay those in a scheduled way. So they're not actually expecting you to pay it all at once. They also were given deep discounts by the hospital, much like the 
C-section rate I described in the show, where it was like, I think $20,000 was reduced down to five. He had open heart surgery, which was only a couple thousand dollars. I mean, I say only, but after considering what you had, hospital stays, anesthesia coverages, and everything else, that's relatively inexpensive for open heart surgery. Uh, the one thing that is important to point out, though, is that if you have a pre-existing condition, that condition will not be covered by the sharing ministry. What that means is that if you develop something, like let's say you have a heart attack in the middle of your having a sharing ministry, that ministry will cover that entire cost, or at least whatever the agreement is that you when you join. However, if you then want to switch ministries, now what was being covered fully by that ministry would not be covered by the new one. And so the new sharing ministry would probably not accept complications you might have for from your heart surgery, let's say. So you'd want to probably stay with that sharing ministry. So you are somewhat stuck in that sense that with the same ministry. So if for some reason things just don't work out that well with that organization and arrangement, then you're kind of stuck. And so that is obviously one of the drawbacks to having a sharing ministry. But his experience was in six years with Samaritans, which is the same one that I'm with, is that been one of fantastic coverage, great people, a great setup, and it's one that he thinks has saved him quite a bit of money. And it's just been a better way to sort of approach medicine and care coming from the fact that you're not just a patient, but you're also a consumer and someone who has some sort of agency with your care. I would like to recommend you go to theparadox.com slash 105. I oftentimes tell you to go to the show notes page, but this time I think it's really important. For one thing, you can go and actually see the pictures of all these physicians I'm talking to. There are nine of them, and so it's kind of like a rapid fire, a few minutes with each one. It's a fun discussion. I had a lot of fun just meeting new people, and it's one thing about podcasting and this show that I did not expect, and that's been a great benefit for me personally and professionally to just meet some really great doctors who care about people and are innovative and really looking to do the be- what's best for themselves and their patients, and I think that's really cool and inspiring. Again, you can find that at theparadox.com. That's P-A-R-A-D-O-C-S dot com slash 105. There you can see the show notes, links to all these different practices, and see the pictures of all the docs I talked to in the show. Finally, if you are interested in financially supporting the show, which goes towards the promotion and production of the show, you can go to patreon.com slash theparadox, spelled the same way. There you can be a monthly contributor to the show and help just fund things like hosting, advertising, equipment, and the like. And finally, if you have not yet subscribed to the show, it is free. So on your favorite podcast player, make sure you hit the subscribe button, share with your friends and family, and enjoy the show. Hi, I'm speaking with Rebecca Bernard. She's the owner of Gulf Coast DPC. And the question to you, like to everyone else, is what's the one thing you wish you knew before you started DPC practice? One of the things that I wish that I could do differently would be not to spend money on marketing or any type of media advertising, because I found that it really wasn't cost effective and it didn't really gain very many new members. And one thing that I found was that some of the advertising executives and salespeople were so good at selling their product. And one of the things they'd always say to me is, oh, this sounds amazing. I'm signing myself up. I'm signing my family up. Uh, And, you know, as they were selling me their product, and then none of them actually did become uh, members of the practice. And uh, I would, I found later on that the best way to market in my market was uh, just social media, which is could be free, ideally, or even just very inexpensive. And that was really the way that I was able to increase my practice. And so when you say social media, just be specific, is this just engagement on your a Facebook page? Or did you buy some advertising, boosting posts and things like that? Exclusively Facebook. And I did do some boosted posts. But one of the best ways to grow is to get people to like your page. 
And you can do that by, of course, inviting as many people as possible, but also boosting that particular aspect where you boost um, page likes. There's different ways that you can promote yourself. And then once you have a couple hundred people that are following and liking your page, that's going to grow organically your post. So I did that and then also boosted some posts. People love videos. I'm, I'm surprised because I don't usually spend a lot of time watching videos on Facebook, but apparently a lot of people love to watch videos. So just a quick one to two minute talk about different aspects of DPC was really effective in gaining more members. I'm here with my friend Deepti Mankur, owner of My Happy Doctor DPC in beautiful, sunny San Diego, California. So Dr. Mankur, the same question we've been asking everyone else, what's the one thing you wish you knew before you started your DPC practice? So one day I received a request for a free one month trial with my uh, Happy Doctor DPC practice in San Diego, which meant unlimited free visits for all health issues for the month. I was shocked at the request since I did not expect anyone to ask me for a free month of uh, physician services since medical care can be life and death situations which are far from trials and errors. Um, I wish I knew about the expectation of a free trial period from patients. I can see how DPC being a modern simplified subscription-based payment model reminds potential patients of their Netflix, Costco, Amazon Prime, and YouTube subscriptions, which offer free <laughs> trial periods when you sign up. So, what do you? What was the? Uh, what was the experience? I mean, do you feel like that was a good thing to have, or do you think that was that that was uh, an expectation that's not a good idea for you to get involved with? So um, clearly, there were two aspects. One, how do I deal with this? <laughs> do do yeah. I want to do this or not? And the second one, how do I? Um, express it to the patient without offending them or, you know, without making them you know, annoyed. <laughs> uh -huh. So for one thing, I knew I didn't want to take, out, take on so much liability um, with a free service. And um, also what happens is that people talk and then everyone knows I'm giving a free trial. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and then I'm creating a chaos for myself. So I had to turn it down, but I had to put it nicely as you know, um, it's our office policy that we don't do free trials and you can, you can look and see if anyone else is able to provide that in San Diego. And I'm sure no one does. So. <laughs> <laughs> did, did they end up signing up for the, just out of no, curiosity? No, they didn't. Yeah. They didn't. Interesting. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Well, hey, I'm here with Dr. Matt Falkowitz of Nova DPC. He's half the team and we're going to ask the same question we'd ask everyone else. So Dr. Falkowitz, what is it the one thing that you wish you knew with DPC before you started? I really think the the biggest thing that we've struggled with really is the kind of the uh, empathy and, and also trying to run a business. Because um, in residency, we've, we're not specifically taught kind of how to run the business and kind of make hard financial decisions. So when we have certain things in our contract as far as having enrollment fees or you know, paying every month on time, those sort of things. We run into a lot of life situations where people have lost their jobs or looking for some sort of health care and we'll cut them a break on the enrollment fee or we'll say, well, don't worry about paying for the labs up front. We'll pay them at the end of the month or certain situations like that where we, we feel like we're putting ourselves in the patient's shoes, what we want to have done. And a few times mm -hmm. we kind of come back to uh, backfire a little bit where we've end up, you know, people end up just going, 
MIA or, you know, the credit card doesn't charge at the end of the month and we can't get a hold of them. And, you know, they're just kind of lost to follow up. So we've had a couple different situations where that's happened. And luckily it hasn't been hundreds and hundreds of dollars, but, you know, we've, we've had a couple situations where we've had to pay out of pocket for just to pay the lab back or pay a imaging company back just because we're fronting that cost and we just hadn't been reimbursed by the patient. So kind of the, the empathy side of it. And, and that's why we went into family medicine. We want to care about the patients, but it also doesn't sure. make a whole ton of sense from a business aspect to, to have free handouts. Yeah. Right. How do you, how do you resolve it now? Now that you have a little bit of experience under your belt, do you, is it any different or you just kind of like play it by ear? You know, we do a, we do a little bit play by ear still, but you know, if we're doing any blood work, that's over 20 bucks, you know, we'll usually charge that up front. Um, we're charging a lot more of the membership fees up front. Um, when we used to charge that at the end of the month, um, you know, and we're just, we kind of, about each new patient that signs up, Nick and I will talk and say, well, what do you think? Should we charge it up front or should we give them a break or whatever? And, you know, we kind of make more of a, rather than a game time decision, we kind of make a, you know, a joint decision that way, uh, with both of us involved. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we still kind of take it by ear a little bit, but we're just a lot more aware of it, uh, just because it's happened to us a couple of times. So we're, we feel like we still have the empathy, but, you know, we're just a little bit more guarded. Hi, I'm here with my friend Hatim Gupta. He's a physician and in, in the owner of Rivertown's Pediatrics in Westchester, New York. And Dr. Gupta, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everyone else. What's the one thing you wish you knew about DPC before you started? The, the, one, the one thing I wish I knew uh, before I started was that starting a DPC practice does not follow a cookbook. It is not a one size fits all. Uh, and there are many, many market forces at play depending on where you live. Um, and so uh, uh, be flexible in how you run your practice, how you market your practice. Be open to changing. <laughs> so, um, and I've had to do that many times in the, in, in the beginning. Um, and so uh, one of the biggest changes, uh, because I'm in Westchester, New York, I had to change the name of my practice from DPC to concierge. Yeah. And that right there was the turning point into financial security for my practice. Nothing changed in the way I practiced. It was just a title. And, and that's just a reflection <laughs> of your, just the area where people are just familiar with that term for, for medicine. and They are. Yes, they are. And, and um, uh, concierge, that, that terminology has been around for a long time. And also, again, New York, there was a TV show <laughs> about a concierge medicine doctor <laughs> called Royal Pains. So when I initially started off as I call myself a, a direct primary care, the focus, uh, the, every conversation was about trying to explain what DPC mm -hmm. was. It left many people confused. The the few that understood it, they're like, oh, see, like concierge, <laughs> like that that show Royal Pains. And then I realized, why don't I just call myself concierge? <laughs> and that was the, it, 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 by switching from DPC to call myself concierge, that shifted the focus back to what, to me, what yeah. I provide uh, for my patients. That was it. And so, um, yeah, that's why I advise flexibility in everything. <laughs> you 
even even putting up the prices for many DBC practices, uh, they put the, their rates up on their website. Uh, for me, what we discovered was we um, on our uh, my marketing person. She has a uh, I guess a widget <laughs> or whatever it's something on my website. So she used to kind of track uh, the the traffic mm-hmm. on the website. So they'd hit the homepage, they'd go to the about page and, and blah, blah, blah. Then finally they got to the pricing page and they saw the rates and that was, and, and even that little widget showed you how long the typical um, person sure. spent yeah. on that page. They saw the numbers and they instantly clicked off, uh, they X'd out. Interesting. And so that, that right there, showing your rates on your website is like a classic yeah. DPC uh, cookbook um, uh, uh, um, formula there. And uh, it, yeah, I was like, oh my God, I can't, my marketing person, she's like, I think we need to take down prices. So I was like, but that doesn't follow the DPC code. And she was like, you want to survive? <laughs> <laughs> because what happened is putting out that pr- the prices right there took away the conversation. I put yeah. too much up. Sure. Uh, and took away the conversation. Uh, first of all, I confused them with what DPC meant, uh, yeah. DPC, confused them with that. And then now I put up too much information. There was no conversation. So what we try to do is we have pop-ups on our website saying, schedule an interview, schedule an interview, schedule an interview. Now I have my own radio show. So some people like it, listening yeah. to me. So really we found that let's get me, let's get them on the phone so I can have that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's almost like a fancy restaurant where they, you know, they don't have the prices on the menu. Right. It's just the, yeah, exactly. Just know you're getting. Exactly. Um, so I found that there's certain things that you really should be trying. Now, when, um, when I do get them on the phone, I'm a hundred percent transparent. This is the rates. Boom. Uh, but it's no longer posted on my website. Interesting. Well, Hey, I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Yeah. All right. Thank you. (laughs) It's a pleasure as always. Well, I'm here with my personal doctor and friend, Dr. Balana Mott, the owner of DPC of West Michigan. And Dr. Mott, what is the one thing you wish you knew before you started DPC practice? So I, I had to think about this one. I I don't think I have like one thing that the aha, like, oh my God, I wish I knew this. Uh, I think there's a lot of little things. I, I I think I had to experience things by myself. And this probably happens to all business owners is you have to do kind of work your own things and experience your own way of doing things and then learn from it. And that's how you say, oh, duh, they told me not to advertise. And I spent all this money in advertising that, you know, got me zero patients. But I guess I had to do it to learn about it and to see, okay, I'm not doing that again. Um, There are little things like, and I think it's better now. I think now there's more support in the we have that Facebook group and there's a lot of lists of things to do. There's like five different books. And when I started, it was more like, you know, where do you start? And I was not part of that Facebook group when I opened until later. So I just had to learn, you know, how do you, how do you get a lawyer and how do you, cause I've always been, we've been so spoiled, right? When you're employed, you get everything from the hospital. Sure. So how do you get a lawyer and how do you, in what order do you do things? So those things, I think it's better now that there's more support. And there's always other DPC docs trying to help. I, I get calls all the time. 
about somebody that wants to start and I gladly just help them and say, Hey, do this first. Don't forget this license. This other things that I found. <laughs> <laughs> I hope this doesn't hold in court, but you know, you doing testing and of course you assume it's clear waived, right? So that means you don't need a clear because it's clear waived. No, that means you need a clear waiver for doing clear wave tests. Yeah. Oh, you actually have to pay the state. These things that I, I didn't know, of course. So I just, after the fact that I was a few months in, I was like, oh, I have to get this. Or, you know, you have to get a license to that you produce biohazard. So you, to get rid of sharps, uh-huh. you actually, it's not just paying for the sharps disposal. You have to get a license to do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I found that like way in. So so these little things that um, I think more and more we're trying to do to help the newbies have a like a list of things that you have to do. So I don't think there was a big aha moment there. I think one of the things that we had talked about is knowing that it was going to be okay. Yeah. That reassurance of just trust the system, trust DPC by what it is to let go. Because I think I was worried that I wasn't going to make it because I was one of the first ones around here. Yeah, right. And, um, there was nobody else doing it around this side of the state. So knowing that it was going to be okay, that you could hold off a few months and you were, didn't have to get another job. I did hospice for a little bit and that actually, I run around like crazy to try to catch up with both things. And I think looking back, I wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. Um, Cause then I was working too much and it wasn't worth it. I think if I just waited a few months, it was fine. Um, there's plenty of patience. It, it was just a matter of waiting a little bit and being patient. And so telling myself it's going to be okay and telling the new DPC dogs it's okay. It feels like a, you're jumping off a cliff and it's actually just like one step. But it's in the dark, so you you don't know how deep the hole is, right? Yeah, sure. Right. You just have to trust and jump and go and like just be courageous and jump. So I think if, if I had known that, that reassurance of saying, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah, you, you can find. So you'd almost say uh-huh. that it'd be trust the process, and then and then uh, find resources, yeah. people to help you, and like Facebook and yeah, and like always that. I think always asking other dogs, and I always tell people don't pay for that. I know there are other DPC doctors trying to make money this way, but I I think the best way for this to grow is by us helping each other. Um, there's so many now middlemen, not just not just DPC docs trying to consult. So, yeah. you know, be like a consultant for, for starting a DPC, but there's so many people, you probably see it on the Facebook group of people all the time offering you to find patients for you. Like, don't, it's like, we don't need that. <laughs> I always say, why would I pay you to get patients? I get patients myself. And you know what? People actually like that because they talk to me. They, it, it's, it's proof of the relationship that you're looking for. Yeah. If I put somebody in the middle, then it kind of defeats the purpose of what I'm trying to to get them to understand about DBC is that, oh yeah, I talked to my assistant and my other assistant and, you know, putting all these barriers and then all these people that need to make money. So I think that it's, it's exploded in the last year, especially all these people, you know, look for me on LinkedIn and send me messages. I can get you patients and <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> and there's plenty of patience for everybody. Thanks so much for your, <laughs> 
for your answer. And I guess I'll see you later. I'm, I'm trying to stay healthy and stay out of your office. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you in a little bit. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Well, I'm here with my new friend, Dr. Katie Edson of Edson Family Practice in Christiansburg, Virginia. And Dr. Edson, I have the one question for you. If When you're starting your primary, direct primary care practice, what's the one question you wish you knew the answer to before you started? It's... Uh... It's a one answer, but it actually is pretty broad, um, which is, you know, how do you do all the things that you didn't do when you were in fee for service? (laughs) You know, all the things that your nurse knows how to do, um, the nurse, you know, the, whether it's the nurse or the office manager, whoever, you know, buying the supplies, where do you get these things? Uh, What are they called? Um, I was, I was two years out of, um, well, I guess, actually four years out of residency, um, two years out of residency when I moved here. Um, but four years out of residency when I, um, started my practice and, you know, uh, things just appear, you know, you say, I need, I need to do an IND in room four and the the tray appears with everything on it. You don't even have to necessarily know what things are called. Um, and, uh, I suppose surgeons might be better about that because they always have to ask for the instrument that they want. But, um, uh, those kind of things. When I had to, you know, buy supplies for the first time, I was like, what do I need? Okay. There's this list, but, um, what, what do I use when I do X, Y, or Z procedure? Um, and what is it called? And, and what, what's the generic name for it? When I go to this, you know, website of this, um, uh, medical supplier and, um, you know, or are they, you have to call them for an invoice and, you know, uh, yeah. what, what they think something is called and you know they're not necessarily a medical person um they don't have the training and so they just you know know what item numbers are and things like that so um that kind of thing was probably in terms of practical day-to-day stuff that was thing the, researching those things <laughs> is what took the most time um you know the the more um esoteric things like you know what is what is my marketing strategy what you know what is my branding those are those are certainly important things, but, you know, day to day, you know, how do I get a scalpel? Um, how do I get suture that I need? Those things are, you know, where the rubber meets the road. Um, and the, the things that you really actually need <laughs> in order to do your actual um, medical practice. Um, right. So that was, I think, and, and that still continues to be a, um, something that, you know, continues to be an issue because, okay, you want to start doing something new. I want to start adding this procedure. Okay. Well, how do I get the things to do that? Um, that's, uh, probably the biggest thing that, that doctors, we we don't know about that stuff. Um, they don't train us in that, um, in residency necessarily. Yeah. Asking for the sharp thingy is probably hard to order, right? Yeah. Um, (laughs) What gauge (laughs) needles do I use? (laughs) Yeah. Right. And what suture would you four Oh six Oh five Oh three Oh right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's very interesting. And that's it. Those are the things that you don't ever, th- you're right. When you're training, you certainly don't think about those things. Just they're around. Like right. you need some gauze. It's there. Right. Four by fours, two by twos, what sterile, right. non-sterile. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. How, how d- does the, the, the woven thickness of it matter? <laughs> the thread <laughs> those count? Those kind of things. <laughs> yes, exactly. That, uh, that really do make a difference in the end. Um, and so you, 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 I guess, as a direct primary care doctor, when you have to do everything, if you're doing everything yourself, which I guess not everybody does, but um, if you're doing things yourself, then, you know, you become a better, um, 
uh, customer, <laughs> I guess it could be the sure. word. Um, you, you know how to shop around better after a while. And um, thankfully now with, you know, the different groups like Facebook groups and things that, um, that we're in that, you know, you can ask those questions and um, find the answer to it a lot easier than you could when I was starting out necessarily that there's a lot more um, banked knowledge um, available now, but you still have to, you know, figure out what supplier are you going to use and um, what makes the most sense for you. Um, Cause they're, and, and regionally these things vary. That's the other thing that's, you know, you'd think it'd be, oh, it's the same everywhere. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> McKesson rep in one place might be great. And the Henry Schlein rep in another place might be awesome. And so you choose based on you know, the customer service that you get in, in any given area. And you can't necessarily know what that's going to be unless there's someone in your state or your region who has already broken that ground um, in that way. Well. Thanks so much. That is a really unique answer, and I appreciate the insight. You're very welcome. Okay, I'm here with Dr. Christine Hoffman, my new friend from Vanguard Family Medicine in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Dr. Hoffman, I'll pose a question I've been talking, asking everyone else. What is it about DPC you wish you knew before you started? Well, the one thing I wish I knew before I started was I wish I knew about DPC before I found out about it. <laughs> How did you first find out about it? I was at a meeting in Chattanooga and I was sitting two people down from Matt Hitchcock, who has a DPC practice in Chattanooga. And the guy next to me was asking him about it. And I heard them talking and I told Matt, I'm like, uh, I need to talk to you at the break. So <laughs> I talked with him and, and uh, that started my ball rolling. It is interesting how those conferences, how you um, almost like, you, you network, but you find out things that you didn't plan and anticipate learning, right? I mean, I'm sure that conference was, had nothing to do with direct primary care, right? Oh, no, not at all. It was just a regular Tennessee family medicine conference. And it just happened to be one of those God-given things that uh, he put Matt right next to me. <laughs> well, and you haven't looked back since. Uh, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm here with my new friend, Dr. Julie McNeil. Dr. McNeil is the owner of Anchorage Home Call Pediatrics in, obviously, Anchorage, Alaska. Dr. McNeil, thanks so much for being on the show. And I'm going to ask you the one question I've been asking everyone else. What's the one thing you wish you knew before you started direct primary care practice? All right. Thank you for having me. Yes. So what I wish I knew was that really that I should only buy the essential supplies that I needed to get started. You know, in the beginning, I really felt that I needed to have everything that I would need to fulfill all the services I intended to offer. You know, even things like stuff to do ear piercing and lac repair, um, all the medicines for dispensing. And, you know, when you start, it's so important to keep your overhead low. And over time, <laughs> I learned to start prioritizing vendors that would sell me individual units. Um, you know, places where they would sell me five syringes or just one tube of Dermabond and vendors that could also overnight supplies to me. So, you know, even if a patient needed something, um, you know, I could just get it overnighted to me. And initially, I didn't think that would be possible as shipping takes a long time for Alaska, but I found a vendor that could consistently get me supplies overnighted. 
And with medications, I found that, um, well, I tried to buy all the medications that were most commonly used, at least that I thought, and I found that I often guessed wrong. And so now I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I batch order supplies and I wait till they're actually needed and I can get them fast. Um, it doesn't affect patient care to a significant degree and it really keeps overhead low. Um, so yeah, that's what I wish I knew. So would you say that essentially you would have just waited to see what you needed once you started your practice? I mean, you have some, I guess, obvious ones like tongue depressors and, and, uh, you know, those swabs and things, but that you actually wait till you almost need something before you order it. Right. I would just get, you know, what I needed to, uh, basically do vitals, um, with the lab tests, honestly, the lab vendors will supply whatever you need at their cost. Um, so, yeah, I would say just for a basic visit and things like the medications, I would just buy those as you go. Um, because otherwise you're holding on to them. Everything's getting closer to its expiration date. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, I would, and I would imagine with medications especially that expiration is a real thing, right? I mean... Uh, they usually shelf life's what a year or so technically, but um, you don't want inventory to go bad. Exactly, you definitely you know you want to use everything that you get and uh, avoid as much waste as possible. And you know it felt really funny ordering like five syringes and like ten needles, but it actually worked. <laughs> like as soon as I was about to run out of those, I just order a little more each time, and that's actually worked out fantastic. And I plan to continue to order in like very small batches and just use vendors that um, will send me things in small batches like that. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you very much. I'm here with my new friend, Dr. Eric Kropp from Active Choice Healthcare in Concord, New Hampshire. And Dr. Kropp, the question I've been asking everybody, what would you wish you had known about DPC before you had started? I wish I had known with more confidence that it would be as successful uh, for myself in my practice as well as as, as a movement, um, that it would grow and that the resources available for new practices uh, would grow. Um, the New Hampshire-specific thing that has really grown that confidence is the passage of a, a DPC bill in the legislature. Um, which I was able to introduce and, and get passed. Um, and that, that kind of confidence uh, is hard to come by outside of uh, contracts <laughs> with hospitals <laughs> these days. Uh, so for you know, a physician, not primary and entrepreneur secondary, um, uh, that, was, that was a challenge. Well, that's an interesting thing. So wait, you actually, are you in the legislature? Did you, or did you have someone introduce the bill for you? I, um, I've been on the New Hampshire Medical Society Council for a number of years, um, actually will be president-elect um, next year, um, and so through the connections there, had one of the physician legislators, uh -huh. conveniently, I introduced the, the legislation and, and we were able to get that passed. So with the support of the Medical Society and, and learning to testify at, at, um, at the State House and Senate, um, that was a new experience. Uh, and um, was very rewarding. Yeah, sure. Well, and it's the largest legisl legislature in the world, correct? And the New Hampshire House. I, it, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think we have four hundred some legislators, and 
uh, hundreds and hundreds of bills each year. It's, it's uh, pretty imposing. Uh, so how long did you have to wait before you thought that finally you're, you said, I'm just going to do it? Because it, you said you weren't sure how, if it worked. So how did, what kind of tips you over the edge? Um, it was, so I'd always had this vision of, of, you know, the small town doc, the, the single office, the, the solo doctor, um, but didn't quite know how to do it. Yeah. And I attended a, a series of DPC lectures at one of the AFP conferences and it, it, just struck me and I said, that's, that's how you do it. Um, and I was kind of putting, putting the plans together in my head and a little bit down on paper. And then, um, uh, quite suddenly one of my practice partners, I was in a group of about, uh, five doctors, a hospital owned practice. And, um, he, he unfortunately passed away in his sleep. Um, he had a heart attack and it was at that point, um, when my, response was not one of of i went straight to anger (laughs) (laughs) how am i going to take care of his patients how did i get in this position there was no there was no compassion there was no uh nothing i had nothing left in the tank um so to speak and i said to myself this i can't i can't continue to do this and this was after only four or five years of out of residency um you know, getting home after my kids are asleep at night in bed and, and just missing out on life uh, and not practicing the way I wanted to, not taking care of patients the way they should be, not even being accessible for them. And just a series of, of events like that uh, just tipped enough. I said, you know what, I, I need to take the risk because the risk uh, to my well-being by continuing to do what I do uh, is much greater. Um, than the risk of trying and failing at, at direct primary care. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for the story. And we'll talk again. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to The Paradox. If you like what the doc is doing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or Stitcher. And share the show with your friends. Become a supporting listener to get access to special bonuses at patreon.com forward slash theparadox. Show notes can be found at theparadox.com. 